0: Welcome to this episode of the Women in Technology Spotlight. I'm really stoked to have with me Kasha Gora. She is the CTO and the co-founder of Sci-Fi Food. Welcome, Kasha. Hi there. Nice to be on today. We're going to be talking about lab-grown meat and what your company is contributing to the space. But before we launch into that, maybe you can tell me a little
1: bit about your journey. Sure. So my name is Dr. Kasha Gora, which means I have a PhD in biology. I am a biologist by training. I have degrees from Caltech and MIT, and I have been in the biotechnology sector for over a decade now. My expertise is using something called synthetic biology to solve problems for people in biomanufacturing, in agriculture. And before joining my co-founder, Joshua March, the CEO of Sci-Fi Foods, I was an early employee at another synthetic biology startup called Zymergen. I had the opportunity to help them build a synthetic biology platform for optimizing microbes for industrial fermentation, as well as grow that R&D team during periods of rapid commercial growth. I left three years ago to join Josh at Sci-Fi Foods because I just could not pass up the opportunity to use synthetic biology to tackle what I see as the biggest challenge for cultivated meat, which is essentially cost slash scale up. They're really the same problem and bring a truly transformational product to market, a really sustainable food. And so for the last three years, I've been working closely with Josh to assemble all the technical capabilities we need to commercialize cultivated beef in the United States.
0: So I already put my foot in my mouth and I called it artificial meat. And you Corrected me and said it was real meat, which is a good point, actually, because I
1: understand that the meat that you're making is grown out of beef cells, right? That's right. So the reason that I don't call it lab-grown meat is fundamentally the research and development we do happens in a laboratory. But the cells that we make are scaled in a biomanufacturing infrastructure that looks like any sort of biomanufacturing. And the reality is, especially if people are eating any sort of processed or convenience food, all those foods are developed in R&D laboratories and scaled up in food manufacturing facilities. So I think it's kind of a fun sci-fi vision to think of your meat being grown by people in lab coats. But the reality is that it's more of a manufacturing process.
0: That's an interesting point. So what I know is that I think the first trials of, of creating this kind of meat were in the early 2010s. I think it was a Swiss team and the cost was really high.
1: It was wildly expensive. I can't remember the number. It was something
0: gonna... around 330000 or
1: 400000 I was going to guess $200,000. Yeah. So yes. So that is why I'm here to solve the cost problem of cultivated meat. Turns out the technology to grow animal cells outside of the animal exists. And it's been around for about 50 years. The issue is that that technology is super expensive. And the reason behind the expense is that when you take an animal cell from an animal, it has all sorts of behaviors that are great for an animal cell living in the context of a complex organism, But those same behaviors make it incredibly expensive to cultivate outside of the animal. So I can give you examples like a cell from an animal can only divide a certain number of times before it stops. And when you look at how much it can divide and think about how many cell divisions it would take to go from a single cell to say, you know, biomanufacturing lots of hamburgers, it just, it's not enough. Uh, Another issue is most animal cells only want to grow attached to other animal cells or attached to a two-dimensional surface. And that is actually not a scalable way to manufacture things. So I can give you a visual example. If you imagine a Petri dish, so many Mm -hmm. of your audience will know what that looks like. And it's covered, it's got pink cell culture media in there. And on the bottom of that Petri dish is a single layer of cells If you looked at that, you would just see the faintest haze. So it's really hard to imagine how, you know, a single layer of cells that you can't even see by the naked eye can scale to making tons and tons of food. Mm -hmm. And so that's another issue. And then the final issue is that animal cells in an animal need lots of specialized signals like growth factors in order to grow. And those are actually really expensive to reproduce in cell culture. And so, those are the three fundamental challenges. At Sci Fi Foods, our solution is to use synthetic biology and this tool of genetic engineering to change those really problematic, expensive behaviors into behaviors that are actually suitable for growing cells in really simple steel bioreactors.
0: I understand that you actually found a solution to grow these cells in suspension, which means that you can actually scale much better than if you had to grow the cells on a surface. So this is already a big step forward, as far as I understand, and it makes it a lot cheaper. But I also understand that we are not there yet. I mean, not in an industrial scale. So as far as I understand, the approach that Sci-Fi Food is taking is to use plant-based proteins and combine them with the grown beef cells to give the burger patties a a beef taste. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So that is our strategy. And I think maybe we can just take a step back and, and talk about that strategy. So the idea of using beef cells as a flavor ingredient has huge positive implications for reducing the cost of cultivated meat. And I think specifically in a way that's probably not what you would expect, which is the capital cost of biomanufacturing. So, in order to produce cells in cell culture using biomanufacturing, you have to build these huge, expensive facilities. And even if the cells grow really quickly and use really inexpensive inputs into the process, those facilities still cost a ton of money. So, by Using only a fraction of cells in the product, you can actually reduce those CapEx expenses and have a much more favorable economic profile of the product. The other advantage to using beef cells as a flavor ingredient is you don't have to figure out how to create structure from those cells. So in an animal, cells grow in tissues and they're fed by vasculature and all sorts of complicated biology. It's no one today knows how to reproduce those types of processes and create structured products at any kind of scale. So you can you can do little things, you know, organ on a chip, tiny stuff on bench scale, but no one has been able to scale it. And I think the example I like to use is, if that technology was ready and scalable, we'd probably have. Synthetic organs today and you know, many people on the planet would pay a lot of money in order to to be able to replace a vital organ. We haven't done that yet because it's a really complicated and expensive process. And so to expect us to do that for a commodity food product that costs, you know, $10 a kilogram. That doesn't make economic sense with today's technology. So that's why we take this blended approach because it lets us kill two birds with one stone. One is we don't have to figure out how to structure stuff. And the other is actually reduces the cost for facilities a lot.
0: That makes absolute sense. And we could talk a lot about, you know, the way cells develop. But coming back to the actual problem you're trying to solve one thing is creating cultivated meat but why are you doing it i think this is something we should talk about the reason why we want to get away from cattle bred beef to cultivated beef what is the environmental impact of people eating meat
1: you can you can look at the problem from many different angles one of the angles i like to take is an economic angle which is the demand for beef continues to increase As more and more humans become wealthier, they want to eat more beef. And the current industrial agriculture processes will not be able to keep up. So even if we keep doing what we're doing, we won't be able to meet the demand for beef. And what we're doing is extremely environmentally harmful. When you think about climate change and global warming, Animal agriculture is a huge contributor, and beef by far is the worst culprit, and that has to do with methane emissions from cows and the amount of land use required to pasture those cows, but also to grow food for those cows. So what we're doing today won't meet future demand, and what we're doing today is extremely unsustainable. Cultivated meat actually is an opportunity to solve both those problems. So to meet demand in a much more sustainable way. We actually recently completed a life cycle analysis where we compared our cultivated blended product with conventional beef, and it's a 90% reduction in -hmm. greenhouse emissions associated with what we're doing versus conventional beef. So we really think There's a lot pointing in the direction of cultivated meat as being able to meet increasing demand, but also in a very environmentally sustainable sort of way. Mm -hmm. And for those of us, including myself who care about animal welfare and cruelty, it's also a cruelty-free process. So we start with a, a biopsy, a punch biopsy from a cow that continues living its life. And we never have to go back to that cow. We do all our cell line development in the lab. You know, we're able to biomanufacture those cells in a way that doesn't harm animals.
0: I think this is a very important thing to understand, that the way you are growing this meat reduces the carbon output by 90%. I read a statistic that if people would eat a third less meat every year, that would reduce the CO2 output in the U.S. by 5%, which is a big number, right? So just moving that that third of meat to cultivated meat would mean that you would also be reducing the output by nearly 5%. This is a really big thing. I think that's one of the topics that would really interest people. There is this emotional barrier to cultivated meat, obviously, still. People associate cultivated meat with lab-grown meat that has a bit of a I don't want to say Frankenstein because that does not do it justice, but it does have this kind of sci-fi futuristic movie flavor to it. I think understanding what the good you can do for the environment and the treatment of animals and all those things, I think that's something we really have to talk about and emphasize, right?
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's why we are called sci-fi foods because we're really transparent and open with what we're doing. And we think it's a utopian sci-fi future that we're building. The interesting thing is people don't actually think about where their conventional meat comes from. I I bet you if somebody did a tour of a slaughterhouse and then a tour of our amazing, clean, lovely facility in San Leandro, they would probably really prefer to eat food that's manufactured in a completely sterile, clean Mm -hmm. environment that doesn't have immense cruelty towards animals, that they would actually prefer eating cultivated meat after that experience. So in some ways, the comparison is almost not fair because people actually don't think about where that thing in the grocery store comes from. It just comes from the back of the grocery store, which is actually not true.
0: And I think that's a very, very good point to make because I do know how traditional meat is produced. And that's why I I live in Europe, I must say that. So our laws are are a bit stricter, especially around organic meat, and I only eat organic meat for obvious reasons. Because if you have ever seen what happens in the slaughterhouse, you do not want Animals to be treated like this, and it's absolutely true that most people seem to think that meat comes from the supermarket and and nowhere else. And no, it, it doesn't. So, and if they actually knew where it came from, I they probably would eat less meat. At least I want to hope that that is. I true. mean, I feel
1: like there are many people who have these transformative stories. They go to a slaughterhouse and then they're vegetarian <laughs> or vegan for the rest of their lives because it is a brutal endeavor and. I think there's also important to distinguish between industrial animal agriculture. So how we raise animals at high density versus traditional animal agriculture. You know, I eat meat from time to time. I consider myself a flexitarian. I really look for ethically produced, sustainably produced meat. And I try to stay away from beef whenever possible, but you know, my grandparents had a little farm homestead in Poland. So mm-hmm. I spent some time in a tiny house with uh, no running water. We had like an outhouse and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And They had geese and chickens and you killed your own chicken. That is not what we're talking about. No, Industrial animal agriculture today does not look like that. And personally from like my ethical system, I'm not against eating all animals, but I am against animal cruelty and also industrial agriculture is just very problematic for many reasons.
0: And I think that's one of the big issues that most people, when they picture farming, they think of this traditional world that you are talking about. Also because our advertisements, they show us cows and green pastures and all that. So that's what people think farming animals looks like, but it isn't. And especially coming back to what you said about the increased demand for meat this kind of industrial meat production will just increase so I think it's it's really important to understand that there are alternatives and I too I eat meat um, and I think it's because of the taste so being able to produce something that tastes like beef but not necessarily comes from a cow is a big step forward and Something else I want to talk about is the health benefits, actually, especially if we look at what you are doing now, which is, you know, taking plant-based proteins and just adding some cultivated beef for taste. Uh, Well,
1: let's, well, let's tackle the first thing you said, which I think is like incredibly insightful, which is taste. So we know that there are plant-based meat alternatives on the market today, and a lot of people have tried them. However, most people don't repurchase plant-based products and they don't do it because they say it doesn't taste very good. So they're looking for the taste of conventional traditional meat. And so absolutely blending in cultivated beef cells is a way to transform mostly plant protein into something that tastes fantastic. In terms of nutrition, I think that's a little bit more of a gray area. When you look at the macronutrients in a plant-based burger, a blended burger versus a beef burger, you're getting about the same amount of protein. Plant-based and blended will contain more sodium. It's used in order to make the, the the product taste better. But the reality is, nutrition is really complicated, right? It's about all the food that you eat in your in your diet, and you know, a lot of people will enjoy a protein shake as mm-hmm. a way of getting lots of high quality protein quickly, is that good for you or bad for you? I mean, it's part of what you eat and it can be part of a healthy diet. Would you be better off eating a bowl of broccoli? Maybe, but you wouldn't get any protein. And so I think there's a lot of trade-offs to think about. I don't think there's anything inherently healthier or less healthy about it. And then I think also when you think about the context that people are eating burgers in, It really Mm -hmm. isn't a health food. So most people are putting it in a bun with cheese and ketchup (laughs) and mayo and you put your french fries. So my point is it's a very complex issue. I think in general, you can easily make the argument that plant-based or blended or conventional beef have a lot of the same nutritional profile. At the end of the day, It's about, you know, price, sustainability, availability, and the evolution of food. Some of us in more privileged positions can go to the grocery store and buy and pay for whatever we want right now that's available, but, you know, everyone has different constraints. And I think as we continue and there's more climate pressure and conventional agriculture, the choices that we'll be able to make will change over time, but human Agriculture and food has changed so much over time. Can you think back a hundred years to your great grandparents and lack of food security? People were genuinely worried about getting the nutrition they need to be healthy and have their children grow. And now we live in a moment where when you think about like the number of humans being adequately nourished is higher than it's ever been in the history of humanity. Part of that is due through technological innovation that's driving. That increased ability to produce nutrition is it good? Is it bad? It's just mm. part of it how society is. is evolving, and we all navigate that to the best of our ability.
0: You made a good point around nutrition being more a question of balance than of you know, single, you know, pieces of food that you eat. And obviously, very- like
1: raccoons, do you guys have <laughs> raccoons in Europe? Yeah. I know what raccoons are <laughs> very nutritionally flexible people yeah. can be relatively happy eating a great different variety of foods and mm-hmm. in today's world some of those foods are processed.
0: Absolutely such a good point and I want to believe that what you're doing has a bigger impact on climate change and all these things than maybe on nutrition because nutrition, as you rightfully said, is a very complex matter. And whether or not it's healthy really depends on what else you eat, not just whether it's it's cultivated meat or real beef. So very interesting journey you're on. And here's a final question. So how long do you think it will take to make cultivated, meat something you find in every supermarket, because I actually look forward to finding that in stores, even in Europe.
1: So Europe is hard because I think there's a challenging regulatory regime in Europe. I can tell you the state of the art today, which is, we know that Upside Foods, a US-based startup that is working on chicken, got FDA approval last November. And so that means that they will soon be able to commercially manufacture and sell products in the United States. I I would assume sometime, hopefully this year, I don't know. And, you know, that's unlikely to hit grocery store shelves because actually that's a ton of distribution. You have to have a lot of product in order to be able to distribute to grocery stores. So they're more likely to be serving smaller distribution channels. We plan to start our initial commercialization sometime in the latter half of 2024. So we're Mm -hmm. also working through our own regulatory process and building our own pilot plan. And so we think we can be to market as early as the end of next year. Now, how long it will take to get to grocery shelves? I think that's several more years out, so maybe 25, 26. And then in terms of Europe, that's even further out. I think some of the challenges in Europe is that there's a just a more conservative regulatory environment, especially when it comes to food. We know that, these products are safe and we're evaluating them in the United States with the FDA. We'll be launching to American consumers. So I'm hoping that eventually European countries will follow the lead and accept the practical data that a lot of people are consuming these things and they're actually quite safe.
0: I do think that it might be faster than we both anticipate, especially with everything that's going on in terms of climate change, which seems to be accelerating right. much faster than we we thought it would. Yeah, I look forward forward to hearing more about sci-fi foods in the future. Thank you so much for talking to me and explaining what you do and the process around it. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: My pleasure as well. Thank you for taking the time to talk today.